Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. That's the Beatles, Helter Skelter. Uh, if you ever want to know what music we're playing, just join our Facebook group. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. I'll tell you, back in April, I read this really interesting op-ed in the Washington Post. Headline, What I Wish I'd Known When I Was 19 and Had Sex Reassignment Surgery. And I'll tell you, this is one of those columns which I think should be required reading for every commentator that's weighing in on this subject, for every policymaker that is making law on this subject, for every parent of a teenager that says that they are uh, transgender. And uh, its author is Karina Cohn, who is a software developer in Indianapolis and an officer in the uh, Gender Care Consumer Advocacy Network. Uh, she's kind enough to join us th- at this odd hour. Karina, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Oh, thank you so much, Frank. I-, I heard you speaking about the importance of experiencing boredom earlier, and you're having me on as a go- guest right afterwards, so I think this will be perfect. <laughs> Uh, if only if it were true, my goodness. All right. Uh, by the way, let me apologize in advance if I if there's any improper um, pronouns or terms for certain procedures that I use. If I do do that, and I'm going to make an effort not to, it's not done out of you know uh, malice. It's done out of ignorance on on my part. So just understand if I don't use the proper term for because I know the terms do sort of change. And I'm not trying to offend uh, anybody with uh, my use of certain terms, so I'll apologize in advance. What is the Gender Care Consumer Advocacy Network? It is a small nonprofit that was started because a number of people who I met over time experienced uh, something similar as I did, 
which is that we just weren't receiving adequate care from our healthcare providers. That could be that we weren't given enough information about the risks or side effects of some of the medications or procedures that we were taking, or it may have been that if we had decided to detransition or desist, which means uh, that we had stopped identifying as trans and wanted to reverse the process of medicalization, that the clinicians and groups and hospitals that had helped us get on board that transition train really didn't want to have anything to do with us afterwards. Mm. So it is a nonprofit that, that seeks to try to correct some of that. And and so just so people understand your your background, your gender at birth was was male, and at nineteen you had surgery to transition to being female. Is that accurate? Well, it's somewhat accurate. I would call it euphemistic. I was my sex at birth was male, and my sex is still male because sex is an immutable trait that cannot be changed through medicine or surgery. But I did have some procedures in order to alter my appearance so that I appeared to be more like the opposite sex. I see. Okay. And what were you thinking when you had sex reassignment surgery at 19? Why was this something that you wanted to do? Well, I was an awkward kid. I was one of the ones that was sort of perennially bullied. I didn't have a lot of good male associations, and I thought that uh, for various reasons, uh, not the least of which is that I also was attracted to men, uh, that if I could change my sex, that I would be happier and more successful in life. And what was the guidance that you were getting from the people in your life at the time, be they parents, family, uh, mentors, Mm -hmm. teachers, uh, healthcare providers? What were folks telling you as you were making this decision to have this uh, this sex reassignment surgery? Well, there's two parts to that. First of all, I think probably anybody who knows a teenager knows how stubborn and hard-headed teenagers can be. So what people were telling me in my life, in my personal life, almost didn't matter. Uh, it was not a lot of approval, but it was certainly very confusing because that was the early 1990s, and this wasn't really very well known at the time. Uh, However, there was a second group that was advising me, and I was one of the very early people who discovered online communities in the early 90s, and I found an online community of trans people, and they were, of course, extremely affirming, uh, very validating, and that was a group of people who had given me something which in my awkward life up to that point, I had not had very much of, which is a, a lot of approval from people for what I was doing. Do you feel that 19 years of age is not old enough to make a decision that this, that, that's this life-changing? I think that when you're 19 years old, that you feel a lot of passion and certainty about a lot of your life choices. Not everybody. There's some people who are still filled with doubt at that age, but it's very confusing. You are becoming an adult. Uh, You're like a baby adult, right? 19 is uh, like infant age, past age of, of minority. So you don't really know what the world's about yet. And although you feel very certain about some of the decisions you're making, I can tell you from my own experience that you have to actually 
live in the world a little bit and, and inhabit it in order to really understand the impact and, and magnitude of the choices that you're making. There are going to be some folks that say, uh, you know, 19 years old, you're old enough to join the military. You're old enough to buy lottery tickets in most states. You're old enough to buy tobacco. Why shouldn't you be able to make decisions about your own health care, even if they are pretty uh, pretty serious and potentially permanent health care decisions like this one? Well, this is just my perspective, Frank. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that people should not be allowed to make those decisions. What I would say is that anybody who's operating in the field, the clinicians, the psychologists, the therapists, the school counselors, all of those people who are now participating in this affirmation model really ought to be a lot more invested in ensuring that these young people are getting good guidance and that they have a very well-tested, very good comprehension of the decisions that they're making. So whereas in my case, although I did have a psychologist who was giving me uh, therapy at the time, give, uh, helping counsel me. Most of the input that I had was all one-sided. It was all very affirmative, mm. very positive. And I didn't have a very good picture of what the realities and risks were. So it's not that I would say that 19-year-olds shouldn't do this. It's that anybody who wants to do this at that age should go slowly, and they should have as clear of a picture of the realistic outcomes for themselves. Uh, We're talking with Karina Cohn, who wrote this uh, very interesting op-ed in the Washington Post. If you haven't read it, I've just linked to it uh, on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Keeping in mind what you said, Karina, about that you're not telling, you're not saying this should be prohibited. You're just saying that uh, folks should be in a position to offer some more guidance to younger folks and things of that nature. There are several proposals in various states to have a prohibition on minors getting this procedure. Do you think that's a good idea? Should there be a prohibition on this sort of surgery? I am enthusiastic about legislatures taking up the issue. One of the things that I really wish, Frank, is that Democrats would start to become more interested in legislating this because right now it is very one-sided. It's only the Republicans who care about it. And this is very normal for our our parties. The Republicans are more conservative and will have perhaps less nuanced policies when they see that there are minors being hurt. So I, I think that there is room for a more nuanced policy, but the other side of that speaking as somebody who's working as an activist in this field, is I can tell you that many of the clinicians do not want to have oversight. There is a set of somewhat, I would call them at this point, not very well validated by evidence, but there are a set of standards and guidelines developed by a group called the WPATH, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, And I can tell you that the gender clinicians do not even go by those standards in many, many cases. And it's like any other industry that has 
operated without any type of oversight, there are just a lot of bad actors in the field. And when you have an unregulated field and you're talking about dealing with the health of minors, there is a role for the legislature to provide oversight. So I do support legislatures getting involved. I wish that there was more nuance in some of the legislation that's being forwarded. Through the prism of of hindsight, do you regret having the surgery at 19? And what would you do differently if you could go back in time and speak to your 19-year-old self and uh, you were to take advice from your future self? What would you have done differently? The biggest thing for me is that when I had had the surgery, I was still a virgin. And I thought that that somehow made the act that I was doing more sincere, more authentic. And that's <laughs> laughable now that I'm in middle, middle age. I think back and I can't even imagine why I thought that. But I would go back and tell myself, that it would be very important to find somebody who I trusted and loved and try to learn how to experience sex in a joyful and trusting environment before doing such a a drastic thing that would uh, and has curtailed my ability to enjoy sex. How do you think your life would be different today had you not had this surgery at 19? I think think, well, it's there's so many futures that could come from that. But if I had been able to hear that sort of advice and was able to act on it, I think one of the things that I might have been able to do is learn how to develop relationships with adult partners in a, in a better way. I am a fairly lonely person. I'm, I'm not the sort of person who's uh, crippled by loneliness or anything, but um, I've had many alone years as an adult. And part of that is uh, just realistically speaking, gay men want to be with other whole men and straight men want to be with women. And I have done something to myself that puts me outside Mm. of either of those categories. Mm. Do you, you view yourself today as a gay man? Well, I think that in some ways that that's a, an accurate descriptor. Uh, there, there are uh, there are several shows these days. I think the most uh, notable, the best known one, is a show called "I Am Jazz," which chronicles mm-hmm. a uh, a younger person and uh, the, the journey that that person goes under in terms of transitioning from male uh, to female. Do you think shows like that might be hurtful to people that are considering a a transition like this as, you know, as a teenager? I think when you have shows like I Am Jazz, it helps young people form this ideation that they themselves might be transgender. And especially when you wrap it up in a very glossy package and glamorize it, as was done for, was it the Learning Channel TLC that had that? I I think you 
create a very distorted image of what transition involves. And even though on that program they have shown some of jazz's difficult moments, the overall effect still is encouraging for young people to uh, use jazz as a role model. And in my opinion, I don't think that young people particularly have very well-developed senses of identity yet. And if you give them an opportunity to fixate on a role model like jazz, I think that it becomes a lot more likely that those young people will try to get resources to start transition. And I'm not sure that that's really beneficial for young people. In June, uh, there was a poll, a Pew Research poll that came out that showed while 1.6% of adults are transgender or non-binary, about 5% of young adults in this country view themselves as transgender or non-binary. Do you think the reason that that number of young people, which is the highest that any generation has ever experienced in American history, that that number of young people that view themselves as transgender or non-binary is due to the messaging that we're getting out of the media on the issue of gender? I think that that's a part of it, but I would think that that's the lesser part. But my my thoughts on that are pretty complex, to be honest, Frank. Um but I would say that a lot of these Gen Z and, and younger are growing up in a world that has a lot of grim aspects to it. And I think that this gender identity ideology gives them a glimmer of hope. So if, if we were living in a more positive time, I don't think that gender identity would be such an uh, attractive outlet for them. Uh, One of the things that's made a lot of news this week is the U.S. Assistant Health Secretary, Rachel Levine, uh, calling for Mm -hmm. laws to support and empower youths to get gender affirmation uh, treatment. She was on MSNBC on Monday. Uh, She is transgender, and she discussed an opinion piece that criticized states like Florida for enacting limits on transgender treatments for youth. Here's a bit of what she said. So we really want to to to, to base our treatment and uh, and to uh, affirm and to uh, support and empower these youth, not to limit their participation in activities and sports, and even uh, uh, limit their ability to get gender affirmation treatment in their state. Well, what do you make of uh, Rachel Levine's comments? How controversial can I get, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't use profanity, you can say whatever you like. Well, I won't use profanity. I will tell you that in my experience in the trans community over the last 30 years, one impression that I have of people like Rachel Levine, who was an adult man, uh, I believe married to a woman, if, if my memory is correct, who goes on to identify as a transgender woman, is that it is very common for people in that population, uh, adult males in that population, to develop fantasies of themselves as having undergone transition as teenagers. And while they cannot conceptualize what it would be like to be a teenage uh, boy undergoing transition therapy, that their fantasy of uh, having undergone that is so strong for them that they want to realize that by making it possible for 
hmm. boys to to undergo that themselves. So this is, in my opinion, not necessarily for Rachel Levine, but uh, in my experience for people who say things that I've heard, like what Rachel Levine is saying, that this is an attempt for them to live vicariously and live out that fantasy vicariously. And yes, I would say that it's probably a sexual fantasy. Wow. Um, one of the things that uh, that I, I probably should ask you about is your take on transgender sports. There have been uh, collegiate athletic boards. There's been Olympic associations. There's been state legislatures weighing in on the issue of whether transgender youth or young adults, be they college students, high school students, or even a bit younger than that, should be able to participate in sports at the le- you know with the gender that they identify with or whether it should have to be the gender that they were born with right. what is your take on on the that the issue of transgender sports and the attempt to regulate who can participate in which sports by gender i don't think that it makes any sense to regulate it by self declared gender identity there is there are historical reasons why we have sex segregation by sport, not the least of which is to promote fairness for female athletes to be able to compete and win. And I, I have women and girls in, in my family. I want them to have the best opportunities they can if they choose to compete in sports. And I just don't think that it's fair if they have to compete against uh, males who've undergone puberty. Uh, one of the areas where there's also segregation by gender is generally prison. Now, if someone identifies as a, a certain gender, there can often be a big question as to which prison they should be housed at. This ha- issue has been thrown into the spotlight because of the issue of Demi Minor, who was jailed for 30 years for stabbing her former foster father to death, and she was in a women's prison. But now, after impregnating two of her fellow inmates, and she's now being moved to a men's prison, how do you think correctional institutions, and we we actually have a lot of listeners in prison right now, um, how do you think prisons should handle the issue of people that identify as one gender or another? Sure. I'd, I'd be glad to answer that. But can I ask you a brief question first? Please. You keep uh, referring to this individual as she. Is that something that feels natural for you? Or well, I, I mean, that? that's what that's what she calls herself, right? So my right. view is always, who am I to say, she, uh, you know, he's a he if she wants to be a yeah. she? Well, it, it, it just so, it sounds so strange when you say... She impregnated two inmates. Yeah, it sounds strange to me, too. It sounds strange to me, too. But, uh, again, that's what a lot of the press reports are saying. But uh, I'll say he for the purposes of this question. Okay. Well, I I would say that in all of our prisons, that people who are not in prison should pay much more attention to the state of our prisons and to our justice system. Because I think that there are a lot of people who are subjected to... Uh, extrajudicial penalties in prison. But when we're talking about males who have the capacity of impregnating women, that it is extremely important for the safety and dignity of women to keep males 
segregated from them in a prison setting. I'm sure you're aware that there has been some uh, criticism of you. I read this uh, this uh, column by Lee Lavelle, who res- resigned from the Gender Care Consumer mm-hmm. Advocacy Network because of your uh, testimony over some proposed legislation in uh, in Ohio. And uh, basically what Lee Lavelle wrote is that it's fine for you to say whatever you want as long as you're speaking as an individual, but not if you're identified as being a part of this gender care consumer advocacy network. What was your what, what's your response to criticism like that? I don't have anything specific to say to Lee about that. Um, in the case that I was in the instance where I was providing testimony to the Ohio legislature, it was in the role as an officer of my nonprofit. And so that was proper. We discussed it on our board and we drafted the language uh, together. And so I, I was not doing anything improper by uh, representing the, the nonprofit that I'm part of. Um, it, was, it was a group decision. Uh, tell me about your your podcast. You you do this podcast, which I haven't had the opportunity to hear yet, but it's a heterodorks podcast. Is that the correct name? Yes, thank you. I'm 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 so glad you heard of it. So, um, what do you, what kind of issues do you cover on this podcast? I co-host the heterodorks podcast with a radical feminist animator named Nina Paley. And she comes from a feminist viewpoint. I obviously come from a trans viewpoint. But we interview guests from the entire political range. Uh, this, this week, we spoke with a uh, trans woman who is very much in favor of starting transition in puberty. So we got that viewpoint. Um, we've spoken to professors, experts on uh, hormones, uh, experts on uh, law. We sometimes go into other topics. Recently, we um, spoke with uh, a number of uh, feminists. So we we cover a, a wide range of cultural hmm. uh, selections, but we see them through the view of, of our own individual experiences. Terrific. Well, uh, Karina, I've enjoyed the conversation very much. I certainly learned a lot. I hope we can chat again in the future. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on. Thank you. Uh, if you want to learn more, you can check out the Hetero Dorks podcast. Uh, just search that wherever podcasts are available. It's D-O-R-X, Hetero Dorks, uh, or just go to heterodorks.com. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 